This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Legacy playables from Tales of Middle Earth, what it do? Next on Eternal Dirtles. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Bro, I've been miracling so hard, I'm literally bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> yeah, man, what happened there? You have uh, some sort of... Uh, you, did you get into a fight again with another control player? I don't know, dude. The dopamine <laughs> hit every time I miracle uh, blind. is just It's just so much more potent these days. Yeah, you had a pretty good showing uh, this week at the, at the 1K. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. Uh, but right now, what we want to talk about is uh, the full set has been spoiled for Tales of Middle-Earth. And as promised, we're going to go through and look at all the cards and see what's going to be uh, legacy playable. You know, as we were going through the cards too, everybody, uh, we'll stick around because there's some cards in here that uh, are making me feel like I want to play a deck that doesn't have Ponder and Brainstorm in it. And that's yeah. a weird experience. Doesn't yet exist so, even. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I'm like, oh man, do I actually want to like play this? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. There's a whole shell that I think is uh, yeah. derived from some of these spoilers. Yeah. So uh, let's. So w what we like to do is we use a uh, mythic spoiler when we're going through these, uh, and we just like kind of go from the top to the bottom and talk about the cards. And then, uh, of course, when we can't find something on mythic spoiler, which has happened, uh, we'll use Scryfall to like look at the card. Uh, obviously, you'll be getting uh, a look at all these cards right here. So uh, you know, visually, you can you can follow along with us. So the first card that I want to talk about is Dawn. Of a new age, Phil. What do you think about Dawn of a New Age? I guess we should explain so, the card first, right? It's one in a white for an enchantment. It says that ETBs with a hope counter for each creature you control, and then at the beginning of your end step, remove a hope counter from it. And if you do draw a card, then if you have no hope counters on it, you sacrifice it and gain four life. So, if we think Staff of the Storyteller is playable, and that thing is mana gated, right? You're I think we do feel card, that way. Yeah. And and you are uh, building your deck in a way where you are playing specifically token producers in order to turn staff on. Yeah. Dawn of the New Age is not a card you're playing on turn two unless you you know have you made some kind of large amount of token creatures or something on turn one. But this isn't this is any creature. This isn't just token creatures. So you can have any amount of board, and this will enter with hope counters. And then it's essentially a, a one-sided howling mine. Yeah. It comes into play for however many tokens you have or how many counters you have on it. And then it I, dies I myself, and you gain four life, which is, like, extra text. I, I, that four life isn't nothing, though, right? Like, yeah. that could blank a combat and give you the time to actually leverage the cards that you draw off of it. The, the the downside about this is that the play patterns of it are, this is not the card that you play early. This is the card that you play, so you, like, deploy your hand, you play to the board, and then you play this as your, like, last thing. And mm -hmm. then this will be, you know, you just have the monarch until the hope counters are gone. Yeah. Right? You just draw two cards a turn. So... In that context, like if you play it in that context, where like this is almost like your your top end, like your late mid game to end game sort of thing, because if you advance your board, play this, it draws a bunch of cards potentially to advance your board further. Play another one, and then just keep that tr train going. 
this like I read this as two mana, you're the monarch, and it can't be taken from you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then these it's not legendary, so like if you have multiple creatures, like you can stack them, right? Play this. Next turn, you still have the same number or more creatures. Play another one, and now you're drawing three cards every turn. Like, it's two mana. It's not mana gated. It has a lot of play potential in those kinds of patterns. If you're in the context of that deck, so it, it definitely rewards you for playing to the boards. So you have to be in that context. But like, a one-sided howling mind that then draw, gains you for life to like win races or win in combats, no joke. So yeah, I think it needs it needs the right context, but it's playable. I agree 100. Um, yeah. So the next card is. Spiteful Bounty. Uh, Spiteful Bounty is an enchantment that is Spiteful red. Banditry, bro. Ba Sorry. Spiteful Banditry. Oh, my God. Already already with the mis the, the mispronunciations. Uh, anyhow, Spiteful Banditry is a card that is X, red, red. And it says, when this enters the battlefield, deal X damage to each creature. Whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, create a treasure token this ability triggers only once each turn. So I try to find what decks are interested in this at double red. So if it's like at three mana, it deals one to everything. At four yep. mana, it deals, it's a pyroclasm. And then it sticks on the board for whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you create a treasure token, but it only triggers once every turn. I think at the floor, this card has to be good if you just cast it for red red. If this is just zero and it's an enchantment that whenever an opponent creature control dies, you make a treasure token. And because that by itself, I don't think is playable. I don't think this card is playable. Yeah, I I, I think upon looking at this initially, I was like, oh, this is just Massacre. This is Meathook Massacre. Um, but uh, gaining a mana versus doing a damage in this particular instance is not as good. The difference, too, is that uh, Meathook Massacre is just a blood artist. And you can make it so you you can make blood artists good, whereas yeah. this one like your opponent has to have creatures on the table for the second effect to be good because it's whenever a creature yeah. your opponent controls dies. It's not like you can start spamming like sacrificing your own stuff to make treasures. You know exactly your your yeah. opponent has to agree to it, and that's not necessarily impossible. Like everything is playing creatures now, including uh, staff control decks that are playing like tokens and shit. But I don't know if like you're willing to spend a card to like maybe make some treasure tokens. Like this has to kill a thing. And if it's killing a thing, you're killing an X one for three mana. And is that good enough? I just don't see it. Yeah. I, I mean, at best, like, you have to be getting some value out of the treasure tokens as artifacts as opposed to just, like, as mana. But anyhow, like I said, this card, it, it, there's a lot of hype. I don't think it's going to see legacy play, though. Uh, next card is uh, Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Uh, that is a three mana, three, three. That's uh, two and a white for a legendary creature, Human Soldier with Vigilance, uh, whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell, then you can sacrifice Boromir, Warden of the Tower, creatures you control, gain indestructible, until in turn, the ring tempts you. You want to know this? where I think this card is actually going to be the mo most played? Where? This is a vintage a Lavinia that you can Ancient Tomb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that. That's a pretty solid point, is, is this card's probably, because it is like just Ancient Tomb, like play this, play, you know, play it can slot into that deck already, the initiative deck and Vintage. Um, this card are also like blocks your opponent from being able to do their, their broken things, 
And then the ring tempts you is just like extra flavor. Like you're probably not even gonna have to sacrifice this card because your your opponent's locked out of the game at this point. Yeah, the sacrifice thing isn't mana gated. You just sacrifice it, so it's like yeah. it's just free. Like you just get to have it whenever you want. Like it just cuts a, a part of interaction out of off of your opponent. But like <laughs> it it just changing the blue mana for ancient tomb mana. I think is where like okay, yeah, I'm on city of traders and ancient tomb, and now I have this card. That's another thing that just houses, uh, you know the the cheap artifact combo decks even, yeah. even more like i'm on archon Amiria, and then i can be on like even just one of these if it's legendary since you don't want to draw multiples but like i could see this being the thing where it's like yeah you can never spam anything and uh you know it's like you're not replacing archon but maybe you want a fifth archon you know yeah well in the realm of uh two mana you become the monarch cards we have call of the ring which is a two mana enchantment one in a black uh at the beginning of your upkeep the ring tempts you and then whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life. If you do, draw a card. Uh, I mean, I think that this card is interesting because the ability to draw a card is a may. So like yeah. while you have life, you can choose to just, uh, you know, howling mine yourself. And because, I mean, the thing is, whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, it implies that you have to have a creature on board. You the ring will tempt you even if you don't have a creature, but you can't choose a ring bearer if you don't have a creature. So you're only going to be able to draw a card while you have a creature in play, which isn't the most difficult thing to do if you're going to And, and we can assume that if we're playing this card, we are playing creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, the notion of like two life for a card every turn, if you're just going to bury your opponent and then every creature that you play with, like this is going to get you to the four levels of the ring pretty quickly. And yeah. then every creature is like, okay, every time I attack, you lose a life and have to sack a creature if you block. And yeah. Well, not to you mention, know, like, like, remember what all the things that the ring does. It's like, one of your creatures becomes legendary. Then it's like, when you attack, you loot, right? Is that is that the next line? Is like, when you, you attack, loot. you loot? Yeah. Then yeah. it's, uh, if your creature gets blocked, uh, or a sacrifice creature only blocked by, uh, like, Skulk? It, it, the, the, the first ability is they become legendary and gain Skulk. The second skulk. ability is they okay. get to loot. The third ability is... So the third is ability like, is if they get blocked, they the creature that they, blocks them dies after combat. They sacrifice it and then, then the it's like ability. just it's just bumping in the night every time it hits somebody. every turn yeah yeah so, so those like, those are all it, very like as they boil through they're very good it's just that you need to have this happen and because this is guaranteeing that you're going to get tempted at the beginning of each turn uh any other effects that you have that also tempt you are just that much better because they're they're basically just snowballing you into into hitting that four spot once you hit that four spot Whenever you have a creature in, in play that uh, is the ring bearer, he has all those abilities. It's just like turbo attempts you. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's if, if it's good enough, but it's it's cheap. It's two mana. It's a it's not legendary. It's a, a, a way to like turbo the. Yeah, you can play like, more I, than one of these actually, which is kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you can stack it. So you could pay four life a turn, you know. And at that point, you're just like you know we're in Sylvan Library territory, right? Like yeah. that's not unheard of. So, well, also, it, it, like, think about decks that this would be good in, like Death Shadow. Yeah, I mean, there's always these, like, you know, play a bunch of life and get your life total down for Death Shadow, but I, I feel like this isn't going to be... Like, if you weren't playing Sylvan Library and Death Shadow, I don't know why you'd play this. I get that it's on color, but, like... I am playing slow. Sylvan Library and Death Shadow, sir. No, no, but I'm saying, <laughs> that, like, you're, at that point, like, that's going to turbo down your life total to get your Death Shadow yeah. better than this is. So, of course, yeah. you know, I, I feel like if you weren't if you were just looking for something to go on color, but in my mind, you have to be interested in the ring tempts you for this card to be playable. Um, Cause otherwise you would just play the more efficient ways to draw cards. Yeah. But 
I, I, if there's a world where you're like, yeah, I like the ring temp shoot, yeah, it's a, it's a howling mine. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, display of power. Uh, two red and one colorless for an instant. This spell can't be copied. Copy any number of target spells and or sorceries. Uh, you may choose new targets for the spells. Yeah, so target instant and or sorcery spells. So specifically instants and sorceries only. So, you know, you can't copy like, you know, LEDs and then wheel yeah. or something. Yeah. But the, the I don't know if there's much to talk about this card. I don't know where it would slot in, but it's just that it's another one of those big storm cards where it's like, when it's on the stack, you die. You know? Yeah, this is the last another, card you'll see before, before the, like, the curtains are drawn. Ad nauseum goes on the stack. You are effectively dead. You can sit through and watch the fireworks happen or, or just concede. Yeah. Same thing with display of power. You can wait for all the stuff to happen or you can just concede because you're dead. Yeah. Well, the next card on the list is actually Delighted Halfling. And uh, I, we're not going to talk about that here because we already talked about Delighted Halfling in this video over here or maybe over here. Uh, so you can watch that video to get our full, like, it's 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 dang near a half hour of thoughts on uh, a couple of cards. But this is one of the three cards that we talked about in, in that video. So go ahead and check that video out after you watch this one. Leovold Lovers Unite. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the next card on the list after, uh, that is Elven Chorus. Three and a green for an enchantment. It says you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color. So, the only spot that I could actually think of this, fittingly, in Elven Chorus is in Elves. And the reason for that is, if you think about what Elven Chorus does functionally... It is a four mana glimpse that stays on the table. Yeah. But why that's powerful is if you cast the top card of your library and your heritage druiding, you're able to just go off, right? So effectively doing the same sort of thing that glimpse is doing where every creature you cast is drawing a card. Yeah. That is functionally the same thing of what's going on with Elven Course. If you cast a creature off the top of your deck, reveal the next card, it is effectively drawing that card. Now, if you've already played your land for the turn and there's a land on top, that would be the same bottleneck that you would have with Glimpse, right? It, yeah. it, it is it is identical in that fashion. Now, and you're going to get difference... to a point where you have, like, the, the reason why the Glimpse chain works is because you have cards like Elvish Visionary to remove that glut. You have that Elvish Visionary to remove that glut, but then you also can, like, uh, Queer and Ranger to make more mana to keep going off with Elven Course. Like, we know the Glimpse yeah. chain. Yeah. But Elven Course does that even at four mana, which is different for one mana, but one spot where this is particularly uh, valuable in the current metagame that we're going to enter into is when you cast spells off the top of your deck, you're not drawing the cards. You're not so drawing the cards. If, specifically, if you worried, yeah. If you were worried about Bowmasters like fucking up your day, Elven Chorus doesn't care. If you were, if there's a Narset in play that's cutting you off your glimpse, Elven Chorus doesn't care. So yeah. like all the cards that hate on drawing, uh, like spamming cards, like draw cards, draw spells, or that hate on those types of things, Elven Chorus just plays around that. It's similar to how, like, you know, uh, Expressive Iteration was so good because it could play through an R set, right? You, you, you looked at the top card and yep. picked them up. You didn't draw them. And that was a really, that was a, a meaningful interaction. Like, that kind of pushed Narset out of the format because it didn't hit the most played card draw spell. And Elven Chorus, in those kinds of, in that particular kind of deck, does something similar where it's like, well, if you know that you're going to be up against Bowmasters, like, that's already going to fuck your day up because they're going to hit a, a creature. But it's not going to lock you out because you can yeah. play this and then still spam out and just overload the Bowmasters without actually drawing cards. Same thing with a Narset. Like, you ever have to worry about that. So 
I think Elvish Chorus, because it is uniquely fitted to combat that kind of uh, metagame, I could see it getting slotted in. Yeah. Uh, and particularly, like, I think the creatures have one mana of any color. Like, that's fine if you get to untap. But, like, you already have free mana anyway with your Heritage Druids. So you can just Heritage Chain through this. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then we have Frodo Sauron's Bane. Uh, one white mana for a 1-2 legendary creature halfling citizen. Uh, you can play uh, pay Orzov Orzov. Uh, if you do, uh, then if he's a citizen, he becomes a scout, uh, and he becomes a 2-3 with lifelink. Then uh, you can pay 3 black if he is already a scout, and it becomes a halfling rogue with whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses life if the... loses the game. Sorry, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you uh, more than 4 times. 4 or more times. 4 or more times, yeah. 4 or so more times. When we when this card was first spoiled, we didn't know what the ring did, or the ring tempts you did, and we didn't know how powerful that was going to be. And the ring tempting you any amount of times does not seem difficult. Like getting yeah. to four times, the ring tempts you seems pretty trivial based yeah. on like the actual playables in this set. I don't think you playing Sauron's Bane and then two more mana and then three more mana and then this connecting is all that realistic. But if it's all flavor text and it's incidental. That's not necessarily the worst. So the the area that I think this set is going to level up a deck is the Yoshimaru Zoo Legends yeah. deck. That's just like spam, make a bunch of legends, make Yoshimaru big, and you're playing like all legendary lands and all legendary creatures, and you're just like essentially a zoo deck. Yeah. But this set gives you a lot of cheap playable legends in color that you would want with that style of deck, and you get like power-ups like Mox Amber and stuff. Yeah, and if you're worried but, about your opponent uh, wrathing the board, uh, you have Boromir, right? You have, you have Boromir if you want it. I mean, it's a little bit expensive, but like, yes, right, totally. Uh, but you also, like that, you already have like a bunch of good legendary lands to play with, and this set gives you a couple more, but you already have like Caracas, uh, a Ganjo in white. Um, th those sorts of cards are like, it. it's, they are free in a, in a sense that like you want them legends anyway, because the, all the legends with Yoshimaru represent pump spells. This card, and then uh, another card that we we skipped over but would fit into that deck is Flowering of the White Tree, which is a legendary enchantment for white-white that says legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and have ward one, which yeah. is a big deal. And then non-legendary creatures you control have plus one, plus one. In this deck, that part's flavor text. Plus two, but plus one, right? No, they're just plus, plus two, one. The, the legendary creatures you control oh get my plus God. two, plus yeah, one, it does both. and have ward one. So, and it's a legendary enchantment. So it again would pump Yoshimaru. So on the curve of just Yoshimaru turn one into flowering of the white tree turn two, which it doesn't ask you for anything, you're attacking with a 5 4 Yoshimaru on turn two with Ward one, right? Like th that is, but and because of that, what I mean by Yoshimaru comes in as a 1 1. Yeah. Second turn, you play another legendary land. Now it's a 2 2. Play flowering of the white tree. It's a 3 3. Now it gets plus two plus one, so it's a five four with oh four one, and you're swinging it. God, that's that's on that's on asking for nothing, right? Like yeah. that's nothing else other than curving one into two. Yeah, you could wild. do other things like Yoshimaru on one, play Mox Amber plus one plus one counter, cast another legendary one drop plus one plus one counter, turn two, play Flowering of the White Tree, and now you're attacking with like a seven power dude and another, uh, uh you know, five power dude, but depending on whatever the second yeah. creature you cast was, and they're like now it's that's just a two turn <clears throat> clock, right? Like. I get you only have two cards in hand, but it's a two-turn clock. Like yeah. that is fa that is zoo. That is aggro zoo. Like you are putting them to the test. Yeah. So and Ward One is going to fuck them up, right? Like it's like now you're 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 trading 
the flowering of the white tree is going to protect your shit. And if you have the flowering of the white tree in multiples with Yoshimaru, it's not necessarily bad because plus two, plus one. Or, yeah, uh, exactly. It actually you still procs, the, right? Yeah. It, it, you you would still get to, you know, pump your Yoshimaru. So it, that that deck in particular gets a huge level up from this set. And yeah. I think if that if that deck becomes something that people are interested in trying, it's just a zoo, but it's a very good, it's a very fast zoo. That That's where Fro Frodo Sauron's Bane would... Exactly. Makes sense, right? Because it's another powerful one-drop legend that has reasonable text to play with. And if you're pumping your legends, then sinking another two mana to make this a lifelinker, like every deck is interested in lifelink. We're all playing yeah. Shadow Spear. No one's no one's know. upset about lifelink unless you are a Death Shadow deck. But the thing is, is that it's incidental <laughs> life gain, right? Like yeah. if you have Frodo, you can sink two mana, and if they're huge because of flowering or the white tree and whatever else, now you have just built the Bane Slayer. Yeah, right? dude, he's but just out there pump, pumping, yeah. And it, but it's incidental in your deck, right? Like yeah, it's just something extra that it does. Game. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the three black is is you know when the game is flavor text, but white white make a bane slayer is not like that's actually yeah. relevant. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so we have uh, next the scroll of Isildur. Uh, this is a saga uh, that reads two in a blue. Uh, on the first lore counter, gain control of up to one target artifact for as long as you control scroll scroll of Isildur. The ring tempts you. Uh, tap up to two target creatures. Put stun counters on each of them. Stun counters means they don't untap the next turn. Uh, and then uh, draw a card for each tap creature your opponent controls. So, Phil, you were talking about this in the context of, like, a mirror match card for uh, eight cast. I was looking at it because it's, uh, you know, it's ancient tomb plus blue. So I think about it as a two drop. Yeah. But if, if you're playing that mirror match, and I'm not necessarily the most experienced with it, but I think, you know, gain control of up to one target artifact uh, for as long as you control Scroll of Isidore, taking their construct onto your side. So it's just another massive construct, but like you traded at value to take their construct to start winning in combat. And then you tap down their things and start beating them with your giant stuff. Like contextually, I could see this being really compelling in the Urza Saga mirrors where we're both just on huge constructs and we're trying to race each other and... It matters if the staff is in, or the staff, the um, shadow spear is in play, and we're like fighting over that. And then draw yeah. a card, drawing cards like, I don't well, know I... if it's going to see play, but if I were an eight cast player and I looked at this card, I would be, I would, I would test it in my board for the mirror. Like I would, yeah. I would explore I think, that. I space. think it's worth, it's worth looking at in in regards to like if you play this at the right time. Like I play Haywire Might as my like hate card for the mirror and obviously for several other things. But if you're worried about eight cast specifically and your eight cast deck, this card's bonkers because if you're taking a construct, that is a two uh, a, a two artifact swing because you're removing one from your opponent, you're gaining uh, one yourself. So if, if you're in a construct war at parity, like now all of your other constructs are basically two power larger than your opponent's constructs, you know? So uh, then you can swing in you know, it, it just changes so much. If they already have creatures, you can tap them with this thing, and then you're drawing extra cards when this goes away. Your opponent's got a bunch of, like, your opponent's going to get back, uh, you know, his construct, but it's going to be tapped for a turn. Uh, you're still going to be able to swing through at the during during your, like, third main phase with this. It's, I don't know. I think that this is one of those cards that's, like, uh, it, it's it's worth looking at, and it might actually just be like a, the new go-to thing to do if you're playing against 8-cast in 8-cast. 
here's the thing at, at its worst if you play it in the mirror it just stone rains your opponent for a while yeah. right you just take their seat and now yeah. like you 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 mess up their artifact count you take one of their lands like that could be meaningful in certain contexts like i, I don't know if this would see player if it's good enough but if i were an acast player i'd be at least giving a couple of leagues with this to test it yeah. out in the mirror to see if it actually is a, a game breaker for that uh because it, it all of that makes sense like all of the stuff that all the play patterns that we just talked about like sound good and make sense yeah and to, it, it, this is something that i would need to see in practice if it actually does pay you off the way we think it does but if it does that seems pretty good yeah all right we've got uh frodo determined hero which is a two mana that's one and a white for a two two legendary creature halfling warrior uh whenever frodo determined hero enters the battlefield or attacks you may attach target equipment you control with mana value two or three to Frodo. As long as it's your turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to Frodo. I mean, it leans into wanting to play with the, you know, sort of blank and blank again, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, it's a two mana, two, two, it's legendary, you know, you, so you we obviously- talked about the Ishimaru deck before. <laughs> you know, talked like... about the Ishimaru deck. I, I just think that like, it's possible that this is playable in that Every time I ever see DNT, their best fucking plays are always with Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. Like Stoneforge Mystic is just their best shit. And I get that that would imply that you'd be wanting to play with more swords, but it's like if you're playing with Batterskull and uh Haldra, and then usually you're playing with what, Gite, but maybe you're playing with Sword of Fire and Ice or a yeah. sword if you're looking in a particular metagame. I mean, attaching I a see... free Gite to this is fine. Yeah, I don't attaching see that. a free Gite to bad. this is totally fine. Yeah. And you know, you're gonna I mean... attack in with it and your opponent if if your opponent blocks doesn't uh, matter. You're, he, he doesn't damage. die, you know. Yeah. Like, I I could see it like it, it being able to circumvent, uh, you know, some amount of mana, which means that like it ETBs if you're holding up Caracas. That means that you can still protect it while the ETB is on the stack. And if they don't fight over it, then you just get to attach your sword or attach your GT or whatever it is. And then I don't know. I just think that like obviously I'm not the you know basic planes player, uh, even yeah. in my control decks. So it's like what what the fuck do I know? But like. Every time I play against them, I'm always like, it always seems like the most valuable card they have is Stoneforge Mystic getting the thing. And this just seems like, all right, yeah, let's level up our best kind of lines. Well, Phil, speaking of the most valuable thing we have, uh, we should talk about Moxfield.com, which is a great place to build decks. It's it's easily the best deck building website out there. Um, obviously, they're a sponsor, uh, but we use uh, Moxfield.com pretty much every day while, we're, while we are building decks. My dedicated miracle list that I constantly change over and over is on I just Moxfield. looked. That thing has over 1,000 views. It has more than that, dude. It has like it's 7 wild. plus thousand. Yeah, what the heck? My, People are looking at that list. <laughs> well, my it's also because my list constantly changes. And, yeah. you know, I'm a dedicated, stubborn miracles diehard that can never let anything go. Um, of you know, in, in that space, but like it has become a brand is, for you. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is where I, it is where I post my updates. I, I am literally closing in on eight thousand views just on like my various miracles decklists and this one thing with triumph. Like, it is, it is where I post my shit. It is where you should post yeah. your shit. Like, everything about Moxfield is awesome, and we can't recommend it enough. And yeah, you know, just it, it, it is literally after the one K that I played in uh, this past weekend. The first thing I did where I was like, I liked this, I like that. We're going to play in Baltimore SCG next the next weekend. And I made all my changes to my deck right after that 1K. I'm going to try more at my local before Baltimore. I'm going to play my list in Baltimore. It's going to be delightful. Like, get on Moxfield, yeah. people. Let's say it's, it's yeah. time. It's it's time to get on Moxfield. Uh, 
that said, uh, you know, uh, it just it's just one of the better looking websites out there too to to do the whole deck building thing on. Uh, I mean, we could go on for ages about this, but at the end of the day, you just have to try it out. We have our links below. Uh, we don't get anything if you use the link below to check it out. We just we just think that this is easily one of the best deck websites out there, so you should be using it. It's not easily one of the best. It's the best. It like, is the best. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to beat around. It's, it's, it's yeah. at this point. It's just like it's not close. Um, you know, I, I think it would be fun if there was some competition. There just isn't. Yep. All right. So let's talk about Gollum Scheming Guide. Let me find him real fast. Gollum Scheming Guide. One in a black, uh, legendary creature, halfling horror. Whenever it attacks, look at the top two cards of your library, put them back in any order, then choose a land or non-land. An opponent guesses whether the top card of your library is the chosen kind. Reveal that card. If they guessed right, remove Gollum from combat. Otherwise, you draw a card and it can't be blocked this turn. That's a lot of text. But uh, as a two-mana 2-1, two this is doing a lot. Well, it's a two-mana 2-1, two and they can't kill it in combat because if you attack and they guessed right it just doesn't leave combat but it did scry you right you did yeah. rearrange you did, you did get some amount of selection you reset the top of your deck and then if they guessed wrong you just go up a card and then they can't block it so the idea that it's a two one so it's going to suck in combat for two minutes like they can't kill it in combat they, they can yeah. they, there's there's no way this ever dies to blocks like because either it doesn't get blocked because it's out of combat or it can't be blocked because they guessed wrong so in terms of like this card just being able to like set the top of your deck every single turn that's pretty good like, also amazing want... flavor like you're you're it's riddles in the dark riddles in the like, dark that's the whole idea here like very awesome flavor i i actually really like this i i get that you know a two mana two one is not doing much and it's just like selection every turn but it's it's no like two mana every turn to set up the top of your deck for for free like you attack if they're wrong you draw a card if they're right you describe two like yeah. that's pretty good particularly if you're like okay i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna stack the fetch on top and even if they don't give me the fetch then i can fetch away the bad card that i don't want on my draw and then keep going with this like yeah. they have to point a removal spell otherwise you you your selection for the rest of the game is just like very good and, and at the worst this blocks like if you need it to block it can block right yeah and on top of that like let's imagine a world where uh you have the ring out and uh now your opponent has to worry about is he being hit for five damage you know like if if you have been tempted at so many times like if that dude gets through it's five damage to your opponent you know yeah and i think that like this could have the dark confident problem right it's two mana it's a two one it doesn't do anything when etbs if your opponent just trades for it at one mana, that's probably going to feel bad. Yeah. But in the in the situations where they don't, like if Dark Confidant flips you a card, that's fucking awesome. If Gollum Scheming, Scheming Guide gets to like actually scry to and then maybe draw a card at any point, like that's going to feel awesome. So it, it might be too low on the power level, but the fact that you can always just attack with this to, to rearrange the top two and know that it will stay on the board through blocks, that's that, like that 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 yeah. might be worth exploring. So next we have Gollum, Patient Plotter. Gollum, pa Sweet. Patient Plotter is uh, one in a black for a legendary creature, Halfling Horror. He's a 3-1. Uh, then if it leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Uh, also, it has an ability that says, Black, sacrifice, this cre sacrifice a creature. Return Gollum to your graveyard from your hand. 
or two from your hands graveyard, from your graveyard. <laughs> uh, so, activate only the sorcery. So this is a sacrifice effect that only happens in the graveyard, Phil. I think this card is probably a slam dunk to see play in Legacy. Not in that it's you know overwhelmingly powerful, but it does something extremely unique that only two other cards that I can think of in the game do, which is it is a millable sack outlet. So you have Cabal Therapy and Dread Return, and that's it, right? Yeah. As playable, millable sack outlets. This card is a sack outlet that you can flip over. Yes, you pay a black, so it's not free the same way that Dread Return and uh, Cabal Therapy are, but those are very good playables that see uh, that are in every single combo deck and every degenerate dredge deck or whatever. Yeah. And Golem's Patient Plotter being in that space as that kind of very unique effect is in my mind guarantees that it will see play in some way it's not going to necessarily like overhaul any particular archetypes but hey man i absolutely want you know maybe in my uh which my gak deck or whatever i want to flip over a sack outlet that's also a black creature to cast the gak i don't know yeah. like there, there, there's space for that right like I, I it's like if you go turn one stitcher supplier mill this over and then okay turn two I'm going to sack my Stitcher Supplier and mill more, put this back in my hand. Yeah. Like, yeah, all right, maybe we're in a space. Like, this. when you discard it, it, it's not protecting your shit because it's activate only as a sorcery, but the fact that it's a sacrifice outlet in the graveyard that you can mill is just so powerful. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up is Fiery Inscription. That is uh, one red and two colorless for enchantment. When this enters play, the ring tempts you. And then whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Fiery Inscription deals two damage to each opponent. So it doesn't target and it's another storm kill. Yeah, this is wild because wasn't there a, a card that did this in in modern, like back in the day in the storm deck? I forget what that card was. There's, it's like Arya's Flame or something like that? No, it's not Flame of Arya. Uh, I'm talking like before that. It made you discard your entire hand every turn, though. <laughs> Oh, that was yes. I know what you're talking about. It was uh, we'll pop it whenever they take we whenever they whenever out. they take I forget what it's called, but whenever they take damage, they take that much damage plus two. Plus two, yeah. So like and, a but turn, then you, you had know. to discard you had to discard your hand at end of turn. This yeah. one is just in, in sorceries. Whenever you cast it, just like this is gutter snipe on an enchantment. Yeah, and, which is way better, way better, way better because it does, it doesn't open you up to removal, but also it doesn't require blue mana. So you could just be in, you know, whatever, whatever your, your mono red storm list, and Ruby storm this. lists. Ruby storm go. getting a bunch of upgrades, just like yeah. every every single thing, just shocks and, them, and it's like, and it's not like, you know, th this was like the other spell was like whenever a damage is dealt. This is every time you cast a spell. This is just like Manamorphos, yeah. you know, Rite of Flame, shock. you know, every single every single card that you cast, you just have to shock. cast. It just being, it's just saying like cast ten more spells, you win the game. I think the interesting thing about this is that it does because it doesn't target Leyline of Sanctity. Fuck you, uh, you know. I guess that's the only thing that I can really think of because Veil of Summer wouldn't matter. But you know, uh, uh, well, it's, it's just another storm kill. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. Yeah, it's a storm kill. Uh, all right, uh, now we've got Sam the Stouthearted. Uh, this is a two-one halfling peasant for one to white. Uh, Flash, when Sam the Stouthearted enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Return to your hand. The ring tempts you. I mean, at a baseline, it's two mana Flash, pick up your fetch. If you wastelanded them, even on, on either turn, flash it in, pick up your wasteland. 
with Caracas, that means that you can do that loop. So you have a a Mangara sort of a Mangara esque sort of. Yeah, I mean, on. geez, man, if you if you are doing this with a uh, with that loop, that that could end the game for a lot of people. But also similarly, if you have the Caracas loop going with this, that means that there's a bunch of um, other meaningful interactions. That, like even something as incidental as like, all right, I have this Mishra's bobble gonna crack it i'm gonna flash in sam i'm gonna pick up my mistress bobble uh, next uh, end step caracas pick it up like now we have a, a functional um the same thing that emery does in blue except this is in white i get it's way yeah. more mana intensive but like it's something that you have access to now uh i mean samwise is that harder there's probably a bunch of different things that we aren't thinking about that is like you know what permanence you could pick up like yeah. what other things can you just sacrifice for free and pick it up like the fact that baseline floor fetch lands wasteland playable easy yeah uh all right shire sheriff uh this is a two mana two two for one in a white halfling soldier vigilance when this enters the battlefield you may sacrifice a token if you do exile target creature and opponent controls until shire sheriff leaves the battlefield so what are you thinking I, here the thing is i i don't know if this is actually going to see play it might not be powerful enough but it is the cheapest version of this sort of uh uh O-ring banisher, effect? Ba banisher yeah. priest type effect that we've ever seen. Usually this is reserved for three mana creatures and those types of creatures have seen play before. It's probably not good enough in that it's uh, because solitude exists now. So yeah. if you needed a, to search for it, like you would just search for that. But I wanted to give a nod to this because it's the cheapest version of this effect we've ever seen and it only costs a single white. So it's possible that it's splashable if you're playing a deck that is making a ton of tokens. And there is one that we'll get to that uh, I think there's going to be, you know, let, call up Dukes on Twitch, call up Strass Daddy. I think that there's going to be an overhaul to the Maverick deck uh, based yeah. on the cards that we're about to get to. And I could see this being part of that because that new Maverick style of deck spams a lot it's of gonna, tokens. Yeah, it's going to create some tokens. And um, this uh, being a cheaper way to, to leverage that, I think is really powerful. Yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, uh, the cheapest of this effect we've ever seen, Stern Scolding is a counter spell for one blue mana and it says counter target creature spell with power of or toughness of two or less so i think this is 100 a playable card obviously it is very good i mean we're it talking hits, about it, right it hits a good majority of the format pretty much every hits delver obviously it, hits dragon's raid chandler every creature that's not exactly like murktide gurmag angler death shadow doesn't hit uh, Death Shadow. It doesn't hit Death Shadow no matter what your life total is. It, it, the counter-target creature spell with power two or less is always going to be strong against the decks that you would want it against. It hits yeah. almost everything meaningful in D&T because they are a recruiter of the guard deck. Yeah. And so they are, by definition, going to only be playing with cards that they can tutor for with toughness two or less, which means that this will hit the entire deck. Hey guys, uh, there's just been a reprint of uh, Cavern of Souls, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck Cavern of Souls, fuck that card so much. Um, but like, so I mean, one one area that 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 is meaningful is, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you like my my personal experience where I'm already like, yeah, Stern Scolding is definitely something that I'm gonna want to own four of. Beyond yeah. the fact that it's just good at like snagging a majority of the creatures in the format, is a lot of times. Like a, a lot of the conversations I've had with the, with people on this card is like, why would you play this card if you're already playing like Source to Plowshares, Prismatic Ending? Like you're just trying to line those stuff up with the creatures that they're doing. The thing is that a lot of the time, the creatures that you would want to catch with this, the thing that matters about those creatures is their effects. I've been playing a lot of Triumph of St. Catherine and Solitude fucks me up, right? Yeah. 
But source the plowshares and prismatic ending, it doesn't matter if I catch the solitude with it. Like they've already exiled my shit. Like I need to catch that solitude on the stack. Yep. And so being able to, for one mana, be able to fight over any of that, you can catch the Flicker Wisp, you can catch the Recruiter, you catch their Stoneforge Mystic, you catch their Thalia. Like it hits everything. It, in Delver, it hits all of that. If Delver moves over into Bowmasters, like this hits the Bowmasters at one yeah, mana. Bow, it, like, this card's going to counter a lot of Bowmasters, I feel so like. It, it counters a lot of the creatures. And for the most part, it, it, it's going to trade up with everything. You know, like with Solitude, it's not going to trade up on mana, but it will trade up on a card. Uh, against like things like Mother Runes, Delver, uh, GRC, like it's not going to trade up in mana. But at that point, you're minor misstepping, right? And that's the space that we're in for there. Yeah. Now, whether or not you're main decking this, I think it depends on what you're specifically trying to combat with it. Because, you know, if you have this sleeved up and then you go up against Doomsday, you're going to feel pretty embarrassed because it's only going to hit the Thassa's Oracle and they have Cavern for that. So, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not going to get fortunate there. But... Against a lot of the other decks that in the format that are combo-based decks, like this hits Painter, this hits either part of the Cephalid Breakfast combo, like it's it's live against the majority of the field. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, I could see in the slots where you'd be playing, like maybe your Pierce, maybe your Fluster, like maybe you're playing this spell as snare, two of, yeah. your Spell Snare, whatever that is, like whatever that slot is, like maybe you're playing this as your two of, if you expect to go into a field where the most potent things that you care about, like... If you play against Narset and Teferi decks, this is going to be embarrassing. You'd want Spell Pierce there. But if you expect to go against a lot of Painter and Breakfast, you're going to want this because Spell Pierce, and you're looking at them casting Cephalid Illusionist and going, well, this sucks, you know? So uh, I, I think that there's some push and pull here, but I think Stern Scolding is 100% a legacy playable, particularly in the context that we're in as a metagame right now. Uh, it hits Emery. It hits Psy. It hits all of that shit. I think this yep. is it hits the Thought Monitor. Like, it hits a lot of the field. So yeah. I, I could I, I could see this seeing a ton of play and people having to potentially adapt around it. You know, like I could see some churn in the format a little bit, right? Like I'm going to play this creature instead of this one and because they're sort of interchangeable, but this one can't get hit by Stern Scolding. Yeah. I could see that sort of churn yeah. happening. Well, uh, before we go any any further, uh, Phil, I uh, just wanted to quickly point out, uh, well, one, thank you for watching so far, everybody. Thank you for listening so far. Uh, I wanted to point out that we're both wearing our Eternal Dirtles merch today and uh you can find uh links below to uh pick up your eternal Dirtles merch uh it won't get to you in time for baltimore but uh you know for the next big event what it do what it do indeed yeah so uh let's talk about the next card that is Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Birthday Escape. Birthday Escape Birthday is escape. a one-mana sorcery. Uh, it says, draw a card, the ring tempts you. So it costs a blue mana, sorcery, draw a card, the ring tempts you. I don't know if this is ever going to see play, but you're not getting it any cheaper than this, my guy. This is as cheap like, as the ring tempts you gets, right? The, the, the opportunity for this cost is it's a blue sorcery, the ring tempts you. I'm like, at a baseline... You know, you want more sorceries and with your DRC, and then your DRC can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. Like, this is going to be able to sneak it through your opponent's Merc Tide or whatever, like, for free on it's, the Ring Tempest. It's worth thinking about. 
It's worth thinking about. You play this as a one-up just to get sneaky, just to get weird. If this never sees play, I'm not surprised. If yeah, it yeah, sees yeah. play, it's because the opportunity cost of cycle the ring tempts you, and now the ring tempts you is just introduced for the rest of the game. Is like, okay, you know, yeah. like of course, oh, it's been yeah. pretty good. We say all that to say this, mm, probably not, but it maybe. Would be cool. I mean, I, it's a cantrip. <laughs> I, 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 if anybody played literally any kind of cantrip against me, I'm going to be like, well, yeah, I guess so. It's a cantrip, like you know, yep. sure. Uh, incidental synergies, right? If, like, if someone plays this against me, I'm going to be like, oh, they're they're onto something, you know? <laughs> yeah. If, if, if this were played against, if this were played against me, the first thing I'd be like is, okay, what did they think of that I didn't? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I'm not Respect. like I wouldn't I'm be like, like I, I, immediately. I be like, I'm like, what's going on? I'm not like, what are you doing? I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, all right. Next card uh, is one in a red for a instant speed card called Cast Into the Fire. Uh, choose one. Cast Into the Fire deals one damage to each of up to two target creatures or exile target artifact. So I think it's this is just like the card that deals. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. It exiles Cauldra. It's going to exile the One Ring. It exiles uh, Chalice of the Void so that Emery can't recast it. Yep. That the the exile clause on you know exiles, your shatter. Yeah, exile is very potent right now, uh, especially in decks like like eight cast where you can get that value back out of that card with with Emery. So I think uh, hitting hitting the right card with this, uh, or or just like the versatility of this card. Period. Like oh, I'll ping those two guys. Oh oh, you have an artifact. You know, like you can. It it's like I was saying about Flame of Honor the other day. Uh, it's the card you need when you need it. This also strikes me as the thing that will matter if Bowmasters becomes playable, because then it has more things that it's going to be live against. It's going to be live against the artifact decks. But yeah. then if this sees play, if this moves like, you know, brings the return of Grixis Delver between DRC Delver and Orcish Bowmasters, like it's a bunch of X ones. Now, I think I misspoke on the previous time we talked about this, where I said it was a forked bolt. It's not quite forked bolt because you, you, don't can't, hit, put yeah, you can't both. both you can't put the, the opponent and you can't put both uh, on one points creature, of damage on yeah. one creature. So you can't actually kill an X2. But if your opponent plays Bowmasters and then you just catch both the army and the Bowmasters with this, not bad. If yeah. you catch, if this catches even one creature, like at that point, it's just a Doomblade. It's totally fine. The the value of this being able to make it so that your deck isn't just dead to Cauldra touching the table or dead to the one ring because it touched the table uh, or, you know, you have your meltdown, but, you know, they can just rebuy the chalice with uh, Emery and this can make sure that that doesn't happen. The the versatility on this card is not going to blow anybody away, but it's an upgrade in the way that you meaningfully needed it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next card is Nasty End. Nasty End is an instant for one of the black. As an additional cost to the spell, sacrifice a creature. Draw two cards. We know that. We've heard this before. But if the sacrifice creature was legendary, draw three cards instead. So it's a two-mana draw three if you sacrifice a creature. It's potentially worth more if it trades for like a removal spell or something at instant yeah. speed. Uh, yeah. Like imagine you're sacrificing uh, Gollum and then getting him back. Yeah, the thing is, with with these kinds of spells, like, Village Rights has never been good enough, even when it does trade. Like, there just isn't yeah. the shell of a deck that's valuable enough for that. And that's one mana, draw two cards, sacrifice a creature uh, at instant speed. So it's like, if it trades with a removal spell, plus puts you up two cards. The thing is that the, the, the texture of the deck that you need to have to support this sort of thing is doesn't really exist in Legacy. Bill, in I want to blow your mind, because there is a... 
portion of this card that you aren't you haven't thought about just yet. I'm gonna blow your Talk mind. Are you me. ready? Please, please do. What is the first thing that happens when the ring tempts you? Oh yeah, you're saying. Oh that. Yeah, oh, right? yeah, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's actually like this. So this plays with that, right? Like, oh, I'll sacrifice my ring bear, who's legendary, and draw three cards. That's that's interesting. If there was a space for that, yeah. If, if, yeah. You, if you're in the ring tempts you. I mean, yeah, if you're in the space where you also can afford black, yeah, okay, okay, if you just want a raw card. The thing is, is that, like, yeah, I'd want to see it. Because yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I, like, I'm not saying you, you need to play this, this, but that adds a little bit more context to this card, and I think that that, that, that allows this card to be uh, at least a consideration. Don't get me wrong. I'm still playing predict, so I haven't gotten out of my own way. <laughs> yeah, but there, 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 there is the contention about the format being fast enough right now that the cards that just draw cards but don't affect the board are really tough to play. I'm playing predict because I'm a, a, a clown and can't let go of things. So if nasty end is in that similar space where you're already ma you're making some amount of deck building concession and it doesn't affect the board. If anything, it's weakening your board because you're sacrificing a creature. Like I could see those like unforeseen sort of uh, calculations within the play patterns of this, making it so that it's like pushes it out and onto the fringes. But I mean, two mana draw three is is powerful, and that ring interaction is interesting. So yeah, I, I, it would be cool if this shows up. I just don't, I don't believe in it. You know? Yeah, I get that. All right, we're gonna go into the uh, gold cards now. Uh, so with that said. Let's just go right to right for the throat with Sauron, the Dark Lord. Uh, for oh, yeah. three, a blue, a black, and a red. Ward, sacrifice a legendary artifact or creature. Uh, whenever an opponent casts a spell, amass orcs one. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, you may draw you you may discard your hand and draw four cards. So the reason that I think this card is good is I think that this is similar in the space of what we saw with Atraxa. We learned that Atraxa was valuable as the big fatty of choice because obviously the ETB is good, but the more a higher value on it is that it pitches to all of the relevant pitch spells. It's blue. I should so note also, Phil, this is a seven six. It's a seven six. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, it's blue, so it pitches to the blue uh, force of will cards. And then it's black, so it pitches to grief. Those two things are what put Atraxa over the edge yeah. as like a valuable fatty in, in the context of like, I want to make fatties. Or and I, fear, I want to and Fury, if you want to pitch it to if, Fury, you can do if, that if too. You, if you wanted to play it, it could pitch to Fury. But I think the thing that, like a lot of the subtlety of this card is that as a fatty that does the the pitch shenanigans. It also when pitches this is, to subtlety. When it's, put, when it's put into play, yeah. When it's put into play, your opponent is never removing this from the table. This is not like a Traxa where you go up cards and then they pyroblast it, or uh, you, like, or they can just Caracas it even though you're going a bunch of cards. Yeah. Ward sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature. You are never fulfilling that. No, like, maybe DNT because yeah, DNT is the only deck that like I see but, like reasonably doing that uh, unless the ring has tempted you. But <laughs> which like, we just explained. <laughs> this the, card's the made thing, worse by the ring tempting people, actually. <laughs> I, I just see this as like sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature as part of its ward means that you are never touching this. Your pyroblast does not kill this. Your yeah. hydroblast does not kill this. Your Caracas cannot bounce this like without some crazy loop that like I don't know what decks 
I mean, the answer is everyone needs to start playing Birthday Escape so they can make one of their creatures legendary so they can yeah. kill a Surround the Dark Lord. <laughs> like, the, the, in, the, the legendary artifacts of, like, maybe this thing could get removed is, like, yeah, you could sacrifice your Mox Opal, but the Mox Opal decks aren't playing... Like, the only Mox Opal deck that is playing uh, Pyroblast is Painter. And, you know, if that's the case, you're probably not going for this against Painter because there are a combo decks you just grizzle brand them. But this is like the one of as the, the a card that is just not removable from the table. Yeah, It's just sticky. And then anytime your opponent casts a spell, you amass orcs one. And that means that every single time you attack with your army, they have to fight over it because otherwise you just draw four cards. Yeah, the, like if they, you're gonna, obviously you're gonna attack with Sauron the Dark Lord, right? And then you're gonna attack with your orc and your opponent has to, dis to decide which of these two things that they that they need to block if they're if they're down to like okay I can block one of them like oh do I want to take seven or do I want my opponent to have an entirely new grip you know like like this like will this see play over Grizzlebrand or Atraxa at this point probably not is it good enough for to see play more so than Archon probably not I play it, this over it, the the demon that makes you discard your hand at the end of turn for sure for sure for sure but like this is this is like a, a one of target that it's like if you're playing against something that's like super interactive where it's like okay yeah i could play archon but then they would just have source of plowshares i can play attraxa but maybe they have dress down uh if if grizzle brand isn't good enough because my life total isn't high enough or whatever like it once you have this in play it just doesn't leave the tape you yeah. know like well perfect like, example is if i'm playing against a miracles deck like your deck right uh and you have Caracas out. The first thing I'm going to do is get this. If I'm going to, if I think I can resolve reanimation because you can't Caracas this off the board. Yeah, it's like you have to have like dress down plus removal spell for this to yeah. like turn off the ward. But like now we're just jumping through a bunch of hoops. Like the threat of like every time your opponent casts a spell, it splits the body and yeah. you know pumps your team. And then whenever the ring tempts you, you can discard your hand and draw four cards. And that's where it's like, okay, if we're playing something that incidentally makes the ring tempt you, like I'm going to play birthdays, okay, draw four cards or draw five cards, right? Like yeah, that if this is on a table and you birthday escape, you draw five. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Not bad. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we're drawing, maybe we're jumping through too many hoops, but like if this is like incidentally in your reanimator deck because it pitches to all this stuff, I'm just saying that like, I think that this card initially written off, nobody gave a shit, right? No, but I think this is a card that that you you should pick up a few of just in case because it's probably relatively cheap too, right? In context, I think like having this as a one of, or maybe you move into this if you really want to be able to play like a, a a bonus of of pitch spells in your show and tell reanimator list or whatever. I, I think we're I think we're looking at like maybe it's safe to have one of these in your collection you know what i mean yeah like it's a 20 dollar card I, I, by the way <laughs> I, I i i was i was super like i didn't even think about this card in the slightest when it was first spoiled i was like yeah. whatever it's too important it's like just get grizzle brand who gives a fuck? moving and on that's yeah. still that's still that's still true but i think after i thought about it for a little bit longer i was like actually in context like this might be a pretty powerful target to have yeah well we've got it we've we've got the yin let's talk about the yang uh aragorn the uniter uh is a four mana that's red, green, white, blue for a legendary creature, Human Noble. And uh, this also has four effects. Whenever you cast a white spell, make a 1-1 one, one white human soldier. Uh, blue spell, scry two. Uh, red spell, he domes the opponent for three. Um, and uh, green spell is target creature gets plus four, plus four until in turn. Why are we talking about this, Phil? 
I think if you're playing this over Omnath in your deck, you're probably wrong. But I could see this as the one of in the Green Sun Zenith Yorion deck. As yeah, Green like Suns makes this card like really interesting because, uh, you know, the value that you can get out of this card just to just by it being on the board for a turn is kind of nuts. So if you get to untap with this card, you should be winning that turn. And that deck is already interested in playing like you know Ice Fang and Quaddles and shit. So like you know yeah, it, you just it, scry it, this, two and give a creature plus four plus four. This is incentivizing to play with multicolored spells, and yeah. that deck already has a lot of those things. Um, it being in the Green Sun Zenith deck, like it's already playing like a Leovold and stuff. So you're in that five color space. I mean, I not I can't to mention like that. just if this guy attacks and you cast a Green, let's say you cast another Green Sun, you're attacking with a nine nine. You know, like if you cast another green sun, you can flash an endurance and like pump this as well. Like, oh there's my a, god, there's some stuff. you you can you you can flash in the you know ice fang and make this a a, a beef thing. The thing is, is that like is your green sun that you spent for five mana to get this on the board and then untap and now you're attacking with a nine nine with no evasion? Like, is that good enough? Who knows? But like, yeah, I, I don't think this is gonna show up. But if it does show up, I can't think of any other context other than as the one of green sun target in Yorion. Yeah, I think as a one of agreed. Um, all right, so and now we're going to the King of the Oathbreakers. King of the Oathbreakers is four mana for a... Uh, that is uh, two white black for a legendary creature, Spirit Noble, with flying as a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever this enters the battlefield or another spirit you control... It, there's, becomes, there's, no, there's, oh, there's no ETB effect. No ETB so there, whenever uh, this uh, or another spirit you control becomes the target of a spell, it phases out. Whenever the King of Oathbreakers or another spirit phases in, create a tapped 1-1 white spirit token creature with flying. Now, this references spirits, not non-token non spirits. Yeah. So, normally, a 4-mana 3-3, we'd just be like, whatever, dies the bolt, fuck you. But this card can never be touched by spot removal. The second you target it, it phases out. If you try and target it again, it phases out. Think of, like, you can never stifle the standstill, right? They'll still just draw three cards. So, King of the Oathbreakers, if this is in play against, like, the fair interactive matchups, this just can never be removed from the table. Like, they can never point stuff at it. Yeah, now, you have to wipe the it, board. The thing is, as well, is that this is also... It says whenever it's targeted, not whenever your opponent targets it. So, you could target it with things as well to, like, make 1-1s. One so, yeah. let's say, uh, you know, end of your turn, you're like, well, this removal spell is actually better for me to go wide right now. I need to, like, get a clock. You could target this, phase it out, it makes a 1-1-1, one, 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 it phases back in, and now you're ready to, you know, like, there, there's stuff like I, If this shows up, it'll show up in that context, you know? I don't think it's necessarily good enough, but the fact that it is unkillable, that, like, it, you can't, you, you either terminus this, you supreme verdict it, but no spot removal is ever going to touch it, and I think that that is uh, an interesting space for uh, yeah. a, a, the black-white tokens deck that they're really trying to Whole decks here. have been built on less, for sure. Whole decks have been built on less, so... All right, we got Lotho, Corrupt Sheriff. That is a white and a black for a 2-1 Halfling Rogue legendary creature. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, you lose a life and create a treasure token. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. Casting two spells, we've seen how easy that is. Like, yeah. I get that. Easier get when that. you have an extra treasure token every turn, too. Way easier when you have an extra treasure token, so it's fixing your mana. It's making sure that, like... Uh, what, like what's the card um the flying bird that didn't that didn't quite make it that ledger, one shredder. Breathe? ledger shredder yeah so 
Ledger Shredder, like think about how often Ledger Shredder triggers both on your turn and your opponent's turn. This would do the same. I get that it comes at the loss of life, but creating treasure tokens means that if your opponent two spells while you're tapped out, it means you're no longer tapped out. Yeah. Right? And can and can interact now. Uh, if you play this plus any spell, like play this plus Mistress Bobble, now you're not tapped out, right? You have, you have, you, you can always be shields up. It's fixing your mana. So like any of your one mana interaction is live. I, it, it's implicit that it only uh, happens once per turn because you can only catch your second spell one time. Exactly. Yeah. But, but the fact that it can happen can each it, turn cycle twice, though. But the fact that you can do it and your opponent can do it means that you can be netting a lot of treasure really quickly. Yeah. And that, this is one of those things where context matters, right? Like, what are you using the treasure for? What is the matchup? What are the other yeah. cards in your deck? Like, what's the splash? This like, is the, like, smothering tithe of this set for for like edh as well like this is this is a card yeah. that uh i think i think everyone's gonna want to have one of these in their in their collection to to play in their deck that can support like these colors if you're in black white you're playing this 100 right yeah. it doesn't ca it doesn't care what the spell you cast is it just says whenever they cast their second spell yeah. it does it, it can be literally anything if they did two things you make a treasure everybody and likes mana you know <laughs> like we're, we're, we're now in we're now in a world where we have to think to ourselves Similarly, similarly to like when Renin Six was in the format, can you afford to play an X one that's not one mana if Renin Six exists? Because it will just die to the Renin Six, and that yep. sucks. And now we're going to be in that world again with Bowmasters, right? Can I play? Can I play anything that has one toughness that's more than one mana? Because if it gets clipped by Bowmasters, that's just going to suck shit. And Lortho might be caught up in that uh, wave. So. I mean that that assumes that you're trying to draw more cards though. Maybe you're not. And these colors... I think like like the fact that this does it's it's two mana and doesn't do anything on its own. It does need something else to happen, which means that you could just pay two mana, it gets clipped. It's like, okay, we've had the dark confident problem, right? We yeah. just talked about that earlier with Gollum. Like it could just get swept up into that same uh sweep of of creatures that can never make it because they need they don't deliver value immediately and they die to everything particularly to something that's just going to put people up cards so it might not see play it might be in bad colors anyway and wouldn't have seen play regardless but the effect is really powerful it's color fixing and it will happen way more often than you think when it's on the table if it doesn't just die so you know i mean it's also in the space where it's like okay if you have this on the table and they can trip and then point a removal spell on it at the same turn then it makes a treasure so they would have to point it at the uh you have to wait until your turn and then that can open up some some interesting play patterns because that means you're untapped and then can fight over it and who knows yeah all right well let's talk about mary esquire of rohan for a red and a white a legendary creature halfling knight with haste as long as uh, sorry mary has first strike uh as long as it's equipped and whenever you attack with Mary and another legendary creature, draw a card. I don't see the context in which there's a legacy deck that would ever be doing this. Again, it goes back to like the legendary Yoshimaru deck where it's like, yeah, okay, that's, exactly, next, that's all I'm if, thinking of. Right if you're here. moving into red, it's like, okay, yeah, now you have an aggressive, you, you're now in two color zoo and are in that space. You'd have to try and figure out how you're working that mana base out. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if that deck can exist, it's possible that this is part of it. But yeah, I, I again, I, I'm I'm questionable on that deck because you know it's Zoo. It doesn't exist yet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could have been saying the same thing about uh, Eight Cast two years ago, you know, uh, yeah. and then look at that. Now it's one of the best decks in the format. So it's always worth thinking outside of the decks that already exist in the format. Uh, but with that said, uh, Pippin, Guard of the Citadel 
for one white and one blue, a legendary creature, Halfling Soldier. Uh, Vigilance, Ward 1. Another tar uh, Tap it, another target creature you control gains protection from the card type of your choice until end of turn. So I'm trying to think of ways where this is meaningfully different than Mother of Ruins, like the card type versus color. Yeah. And I can't think of any world where that's better. Like, I mean, I get that this is well, blue and white, so like that's like being blue is potentially meaningful, but two mana for your, your here's, two, here's one, one, one is nothing, but here's one me. place that it is that is more meaningful. Uh if you want to get something through unblocked, you say creature, and if your opponent has a black creature and a red creature, it's still getting through. That's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Vigilance yeah. is huge on this too, because that means you can attack with this as well and still use its ability. Uh, the ward one is nice, obviously, because mom mom tends to get shot first. What, what the way that this, I I don't think that this will see play. But the ward one does imply that similarly to how you play your mom, if they uh, hit it with a removal spell, it traded at mana parity. This yeah. with ward ones means that even a single mana removal spell will trade at mana parity. So that's that means that this is never going to be traded down for a single removal spell, which is nice. I don't think this is. It's going to see play because there isn't a blue-white creature deck that wants this, right? Yeah. Cur there, there's currently, been a, no. there's been a play. yeah, yeah. There's currently been plenty no. of time where, like, you could you could splash in your uh, DNT deck or something where they've moved into black for various effects. They already have Mother of Runes for this kind of effect, and unless they're really, really looking for five, copies five through eight, I just don't see this ever getting there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about something that's a little bit more in line with probably what might see play. That's Samwise Gamgee for a green and a white. A uh, legendary creature, Halfling Peasant. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token. Sacrifice three foods. Return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand. So to remind people, historic cards are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So anything legendary is historic. All artifacts are historic. Any saga is historic. So I want to talk about this card in context with the other Frodo and the other Sam. Uh, yeah. from the commander decks. So let's read yeah. those as well. Yeah, so uh, Sam... Let's go find him real fast. I got it. Uh, if, if you're... Go for it. So, so the the three mana... the So first, Frodo. Frodo, Adventurous Hobbit, is a black-white partner with Sam, Loyal Attendant. It has Vigilance. It's a 1-3. It says, whenever Frodo, Hobbit attack, Frodo, Adventurous Hobbit attacks, if you gain three or more life this turn, the ring tempts you. Then if Frodo is your ring bearer and the ring has tempted you two or more times this game, draw a card. So hopefully at that point, the ring has tempted you. So this is a, a card draw engine. He has to be a ring bearer. He's not the part of the deck that's interesting to me. The thing that is interesting is that he partners with Sam, Loyal Attendant, which is one green-white for a legendary creature, Halfling Peasant. It's a 2-4. It partners with Frodo, obviously. And then it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a food token. Activated abilities of foods you control cost one less to activate. So that Sam, plus the other Sam, Samwise Gamgee, these two Sams together are where I think there is space for a new Maverick deck. Because yeah. all of this food interaction, Sam just makes a, every turn, the Sam Loyal Attendant at, at the beginning of combat creates a piece of cardboard. It's creating a food token. Mm -hmm. Sam, the other Sam, whenever you cra the, uh, cast a, a non-token creature, you create a food that is not limited per turn. So you can cast two creatures and make two foods this Sam makes those activated abilities of the food cheaper, so you're not, you're not going to lose in combat because you can just gain a bunch of life. Every single mana represents three life every turn. We've seen yeah. Uro do that and just make it so that you can never actually win races. That's really powerful. 
Let's not forget the that other... Sam Loyola Tenda is not bolt bait. He's got a four butt. It's not bulk bait. It, you can't pyroblast it. It's uh, yeah. It's two four. When Sam ETBs, you can just tutor for Frodo, so it does draw a card, which yeah. is another uh, creature. Uh, it's a creature that you can then use with the other Samwise to make another token. The Samwise Gamgee, the two mana two two legend that sacrifices three foods to pick up stuff out of your graveyard. Between the this Sam and that Sam, and then making sure that you have Krakas to keep looping creatures, like yeah. you'll just never have stuff to do. You just yeah. sacrifice the three foods, get back something out of your graveyard. Like you and if anybody you, disrupts an this, disrupts this, you can use Samwise Gamgee to get it back. You know, like get it back, and then you have the other Sam, the Stouthearted. To that's a, a, another legendary thing that the ring tempts you, which turns on Frodo. You can just play Sam Samwise Tribal. You, you know? can play Sam Frodo Tribal, like yeah. in this in this in this Obzon Maverick deck, and it's incidental because Sam can tutor the Frodo. Sam the Stouthearted is already a playable card with the stuff that you'd want in anyway. Samwise Gamgee is just paying you off so you never lose in races. But then if you're playing in a con if you're playing in a matchup where racing isn't relevant, you're playing against Jeskai Control or whatever, every three foods you have, it's not gated. You just sacrifice the three foods whenever you want, pick up a card out of your graveyard. Like And and how do they even how do they even play against that? Because it's not like they're going to bring in meltdown against you, you know. Like the, the other, the and the the other context that that's cool about this is that if you're an Obzon, that means that you're dipping into black. And now, like, I don't know if we would go that far, but you have Asmora that makes food that they can then turn all of this food that you're generating from all of these different permanents to make it so they can never resolve a creature ever again because yeah. they'll just you just shoot it down for free, and then you just get that food right back with Frodo with uh, Sam. So it's like. There's this whole Legends Obzon Maverick deck where I'm like, all these engines all fit together in ways where if you don't need the other, you don't necessarily need the other piece, but they all scale so much for so much value. And they're all cheap. They're all one to three mana creatures yeah. that are all resilient. Two, four, two mana, two, two, that ETBs and, make, and, and gives you value. Frodo searches for Sam. Sam searches for Frodo. You can green sun Zenith for Sam to tutor up Frodo. You can green sun Zenith for the other Sam, play another creature, make a food. Like it all just seems to, like in theory, it all just coalesces into this like really resilient, just a snowball of, of like just, just a snowball advantage. And if you're playing against, it's like if they're trying to attack you, you're like whatever, dude. Like blank the attack, gain a fuckload of life, yeah. and then just get all of those creatures, all those tokens back. Like, Wild. It all it, it all feels like it works together in a way where I'm like. A connects to B, B connects to C, C connects to D, D, D like it yeah. just all flows. And I'm like, man, do I want to play a deck that doesn't have Ponder and Brainstorm in it because there's all these interesting things and it's still a Green Sun Zenith deck? Like at the baseline, it's the Sam deck, right? You want all the Sam cards. And yeah. between the two Green Sams to be a Green Sun Zenith deck, so it's like your Green Sun Zenith can get you get, still get your Dryad Arbors. And then you can turn to your Sam Loyal Attendant to get your Frodo or turn to through a Daze on your other Sam. And then now you're making foods and like, I don't know. It just it all yeah. feels. It, it all feels it, really good. It's just good. A, it's just a total value engine. Um, so next, the next card we want to talk about is Prince Imrahil, the Fair, uh, for uh, one white and one blue legendary creature, human noble. When you draw your second card each turn, create a one-one white human soldier token. And it's a two-two. So and it's two-two. It, the space where I thought about this is like we, we, it's another engine with Staff of the Storyteller. That's really the spot where I think it's yep. it's, it's a it, that's the only spot that I think it's playable. It, the, there has been space where people have tried out like um, uh, I know the Kevin, the guy who owns Game Storia uh, that I play out every week. Uh, he's really liked uh, Improbable Alliance as like 
the thing to pair with a staff to like make the engine going because when you draw your second card it's literally the same thing you make a one one fairy that okay you know that fuels your staff and then your staff fuels your indomitable oh yes 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 so the engine just goes so it's exactly that except if you're not interested in like that deck is just sky and so playing a blue red enchantment uh but it, that exposes it to Hydroblast, which maybe you don't necessarily want. It does make Flyers, which is more relevant. But this is uh, this being blue and white, which is your base colors to begin with, and then maintaining that engine. Yeah. And if you want to have a Caracas in your deck, that's not necessarily the worst because Caracas can still uh, is the white mana that you need for staff. So it's like, I don't necessarily think this will see play because you don't necessarily want a two mana 2-2, two, two, but it is the thing that makes that engine continue. So if you staff and then Prince Ima Hill on, you know, Turn to staff, turn three Prince Imahil, you're representing an engine that they either have to start using the removal spells on or they don't. And if you have this in your deck and your opponent sees that, if you're in something like the mirror, it's gonna be feel really weird to like board out your swords to plashers or something. Because you're like, well, my my pyroblast now could get overloaded because I need it for the planeswalkers and I need it for Prince Imrahil, and now I also need you know, it's like you, yeah. you start to play that game that is similar to like, I have triumph in my deck, are you actually gonna take your removal out? I have Prince Immerhill on my deck with my staffs. So are you really going to take? Because otherwise, I just fucking bury you. you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we have finished all the multicolored cards. We're on to the artifacts now. All right. So we'll talk about the One Ring, uh, I think, in depth, in a little bit more depth, once we see it get played in the format. But we can already, like, just look at this card at the base and be like, yeah, this is very good. Uh, if you don't know, the One Ring is a four-mana legendary artifact that is indestructible. When it come when it enters the battlefield and you cast it, you gain protection from everything until uh the, until your next turn, and then you can uh at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring, and then uh you can just the first ability on this card is you can tap this, uh put a burden counter on it and draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. So uh if you can find ways to untap this, that gets bonkers. If you can find ways to remove it and recur it. So that you're keeping the uh, protection ability up. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about with this, but I think I want to do a more in-depth, like, you know, one of those more three-minute videos where we just, like, kind of drive into what this card's about instead of, Buy like, running on... What's that? Buy your Drafnas now. Yes, get your Drafnas. Uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, for, for, for what it's worth, this card's good, and we'll definitely see play in Legacy. But I think that uh, we, we would be wasting your time if we told you uh, everything about this card. Uh, it would take us another hour and a half to, <laughs> to cards, go through. Cards busted. Cards yeah, busted. it's very uh, good. We will, we will, you will see the One Ring. It will be part of the format. It, yes. If you don't have answers to it, you will die to it. It is extremely powerful. <clears throat> uh, every time we talk about it, I say, please, just fucking sleeve it up one time. Watch it one time. You will be convinced after one time. Yeah. Uh, if but, if, uh, if we've gotten uh, to that point in, in our history, uh, I'll put a ticker up here for uh, the video where we talk specifically about the One Wing. Uh, one Ring. So uh, you can that, click on that. The, uh, I, I did uh, realize that there are two more uh, colorless cards in the main, multicolored cards in the main set that I just oh. want to touch on real quick. Yeah, go ahead. There's not, there's, there's not a lot to discuss, but they are on the, on the cusp of playable in ways that like, People, I imagine, will experiment with them. The first one is Flame of uh, Anor. Is that how you pronounce it? Anor? Yes. Uh, I, and that that is one of the ones that I put at the end because I was going to uh, point to the video where, where I talk about that as well. Oh, but okay, you are great, correct. Great. We yep. should we should point that out. The Flame of Anor uh, is is a uh, pretty interesting card. And I think uh, 
like I said, you'll get more commentary if you click on the the video wherever wherever that is. Yeah, so that is to say, at the end we have uh, we're going to talk about the, the the context of these cards as well. So don't think that we also just skip Sauron's ransom. We'll talk about that. Yeah, too. Sauron's ransom. I, I I hopefully enough time has passed that I can put up another card. We have that video as well. Uh, we I have a whole list of single card strategies videos on our on our YouTube page that you can look at that I, I'm starting to build out. Uh, and those so, are like sort of a higher quality, more like one one to one sort of a uh, I write it, Phil edits it, and then uh, and then I perform it uh, uh, kind of thing. And they're v very easy to grok. So if you're listening to this on the way to Baltimore and you're like, I can't wait to fucking crush Force of Phil in round one and then win the tournament, but I don't understand why they didn't talk about Flame of Honor or Soren's Ransom, you know, ho hold on, hold on, we yeah. we we'll, we'll, we'll cover for them. So I know, I know. Uh, j just as a heads up, this comes out on Monday. The uh, the Sauron's Ransom video comes out on Tuesday, and the Flame of Honor video comes out on Thursday. So there, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, so uh, let's talk about the Palantir of Orthanc as a three-mana legendary artifact that says, at the beginning of your end step, put an influence counter on Palantir of Orthanc and Scry 2. Then target opponent may have you draw a card. If that player doesn't, you mill X cards, where X is the number of influence counters on Palantir of Orthanc, and that player loses life equal to the total mana value of those cards. In context, I can't think of where this would see play, but in the decks where it does see play, like if this was sitting across the table from me, right? Mm -hmm. Regard uh, even uh, like uh, assume whatever deck you want, they are playing with this card. Sure. If this is across the table from me, and my opponent goes. Okay, I'm going to scry two. Would you like me to draw a card, or do you want me to mill stuff and take damage? I will always let them draw a card. Yeah. As, well, as I painful mean, as that is, I'm, I, I would treat this. I, I would treat this text as three mana legendary artifact at the beginning of your end step. Uh, target opponent scries two, draws a card. Like they preordain at the end. Is an enchantment art? It's an artifact that says they preordain at the end of every turn. That's yeah. what I look at this as because unless the context of the deck that I've, I have otherwise seen isn't going to dome me for a bajillion out of nowhere. Like, I'm not interested in playing, like, against the guys that are like, yeah, I'm playing show and tell, and I'm going to, you know, flip my Emrakul to this and fucking kill you. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested well, I mean, in losing to that. Be, even beyond that, so, like, Burn has uh, Fire Blast, of course, but think about le Legacy and think about the cards that are powerful in, in almost every deck. They're Delve Spells. Like, you know, uh, Murktide Regent is, what, seven mana? You know, like, whoops, I flipped over my Murktide Regent, seven damage to you. You'd rather they just draw the Murktide at that point, I think. I, I Also, like, you know, the, the all of the free spells, too, are high converted mana costs for the most part. Yeah. I mean, obviously... Five damage is, is going to hurt. Context is everything, but, you know, it, it's going to be tough to play with this in multiples because, you know, they don't stack. It's legendary. Le, yeah. le, le, legendary artifact is like, it's tough. Like, you never want to see the second one of this. I get that you can sort of insulate yourself against that because you get to scry to every turn, so you can sort of protect yourself from ever drawing the second one. But uh, it's a powerful card. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, if, if there was an enchantment that was just three colorless mana, you know, preordained at the end of every turn, like, that's going to be tough to outgrind. But yeah. at, it, it, at, its, at its floor fill... You can sacrifice this as a ward cost to get rid of Sauron the Dark Lord. That's true. You could sacrifice it to get rid of Sauron. <laughs> I, th yeah. I think that the, the the thing about this too is that if you are playing just like a whatever, if you're just slotting this as, in as like a value spell, you're already competing against like Teferi and Narset and Uro, and it's going to be Correct. tough. Yeah. But if you were like, okay, I'm going to play this, and you know, you'd want some value off the mill, 
Yeah, like, that's the thing is the mill is not is not a uh, non-zero, correct? If they make you mill, it's probably better that you get some kind of value out off of it. But the, the context of like, if you're not pressuring their life total in another way, your opponent might just be like, yeah, that's fine. I'll take, you know, the four or five or whatever that is going to get flipped off of this. And then I'll gain it back with, you know, fighting over my Uro or whatever. I like, mean, even even against uh, your, your Miracles deck, Phil, I would not want to see you flip over three cards with this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you've there, got there's... you've got like Force of Will. You've got Terminus. You've got uh, Saint Catherine. That if, yeah, if I... you hit all three of those, it's like almost twenty damage right there. I I think that this card is, it, it's 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 it is playable. Don't get me wrong. Like three mana at the end of every turn, preordain. That's powerful enough in its own right. Yeah. So like I I could see this that, that being good enough, but. Uh, and because it's at the beginning of your end step, so if your opponent doesn't interact with it, then it's three mana preordain, and then if they, you know, uh, fight over it or remove it or whatever, it traded one for one, and you preordain, that's good. You went up a card, totally fine. Yeah. Uh, so I think the I think this card is playable, but I think that the power level of it, it's tough to not see in context. Yeah. Like so much of this card is uh, is like it's a punisher mechanic, and usually that's not very good. But both sides of this are good, depending on if doming them for a bajillion is actually something that your deck is capable of doing. So if neither choice is good, and you're happy to have either choice, it's possible that that's playable. But there's there's so much context that's needed for this card, that it's tough to say whether or not it is or is not good enough for the format. I think at a baseline, the floor, three mana preordain at the end of it, uh, end step of every turn, good enough, right? Yeah. So like, would it would it surprise me if this is good enough? Not in the slightest. I think it 100% is. Is it playable? Is it good enough to see play over the other three drops that it would be competing with? That's where I go. I need to see it in context. Yeah. You know, is it good enough as a three drop? Yes. Is it good enough to see play in legacy as a three drop? To be seen. Yeah. All right. Uh, the final artifact is Stone of Eric. Er Eric. Er Eric. Stone of Eric. Uh, one mana for a legendary artifact. Uh, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile instead. And then I could pay two mana, sacrifice Stone of Orok, tap and sacrifice it, and exile target player's graveyard draw card. So it, it's another one of the uh, tutorable artifacts of Urza Saga that is, uh, you know, incidental graveyard hate. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the type of card that because Urza Saga exists... a little exists, different, yeah. It's a little bit different. There's no reason to not have one of these in your collection. If there's ever a point where you're like, I need the hate piece for creatures my opponent controls hitting the graveyard, and I just don't want that to happen, you're, you're happy. You're going to be happy to have this. Like, yeah, maybe your opponent's playing that Sam Wise tribal deck. Yeah, there's there's nothing yeah. about this card that's like, oh, this is super exciting. It's just another long line in the Soul Guide Lantern and its ilk type cards that yeah. is incidental graveyard hate that does something uh, in additional context. That's like, you know, Soul Guide Lantern is the best right now because. Yeah, being able to ETB and hit something and then have the choice of either exiling or drawing a card is just the most versatile for the space we're Correct. in. But if there's ever a, a format where there's like a a meaningful deck that you want to hate out and you want to condense your sideboard slots where you need to make sure that their stuff doesn't die, it gets exiled instead, then you're going to be wa wanting this. So like, yeah. it's another one of the utility cards. Everybody's got Relic of Progenitus in their, in their collection, even if they're not played right now. Get a Stone of Eric. Yep. All right. Uh, on to the lands. We have uh, the Shire. The Shire is a legendary land that says the Shire enters the battlefield un uh, tapped unless you control a legendary creature, and then you can tap it for a green, or you can tap one to green and it and tap an untapped creature you control to create a food token. So, Dukes and Strass Daddy, 
<laughs> we just talked about yeah, a I mean, this just slots into the same uh, the same thing that we were talking about before that, with uh, the food tokens. Here. That Sam Legend deck is rewarding you for food. I get that they're pre-conning a little bit here, but like, hey, those food turn into cards that you regrow with Samwise, and then Samwise can regrow another Samwise, so even if they get rid of the Samwise, you can just play another Samwise, and now we're in the Samwise space. <laughs> like, figure it out. Figure it out. Yep. Uh, so the other, the other ones look not as good, but the other one that I think could see play is Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith has the same, uh, same, uh, you have to have a legendary creature. It comes to play tapped. It's a legendary land. Tap it for a white mana. Uh, and then you can, uh, tap one, a white, and this. Draw a card. Activate only if you've attacked with two or more creatures this turn. So I can see this being played in, in like, you know, as like a one of in, in like Death and Taxes. Like Death and Taxes might want this card as like such a meme at this point. Um, but there, there are a couple other strategies that I think could see that this could see play. Yeah, it's also in the colors of where most of the playable legendary creatures are. Like green yeah. and white are where the legendary playables are. And so... Also, like they this... tend to be decks that play creatures as well. Right. So like, yeah. if you're looking for a flex slot and you think you have the density of legendary creatures, it being like the spots where you can attack with multiple legendary creatures to draw a card, if you're looking for like your 23rd land or whatever, I, there's no reason why it couldn't be this if you feel like your basic count is high enough. Yeah. As you know, like, yes, will there be times where sometimes it comes into play tapped? Sure. But will there be the other times where you're like, wow, this is a fucking draw engine and my opponent cannot deal with it anymore? Like, yeah. also, yes. So, you know, it's it's a playable land. If it sees play, you don't be surprised. Same thing with the Shire in the new Maverick deck. Like, they're incidentally yeah. good enough. They're, well, the like, shell is there. The the best way I can put Minas Tirith is it's, it's the white version of, like, Volrath Stronghold to, like, gain you that value over time, right? For what it's worth, this is also in the Yoshimaru deck that we talked about, where you want your four Caracas, you want your yeah. four uh, Aganjo. It's legendary, it's a, so we can it's, a, proc, it's another yeah. legend. It's another legendary land that produces white, and your entire deck is going to be legendary creatures, so this will always come into play untapped. And if you have multiples, that's not necessarily the worst, because it doesn't represent power on your creatures. So, yeah. you know, you do need a density of uh, legendary lands that produce white, and this is in the long line of them. So we missed one card from the main set that I want to I, I wanna just highlight real fast. Uh, because I still think it's good, and it was in our uh, previous video. Uh, it's Council's Deliberation, uh, so you can go to that the three uh, cards video that we did previously last week, or you can look at uh, this video over here, and that video uh, has has a more like in depth like three minutes of, of that card. Uh, but now we're going to go into the commander cards for the set there uh, are a note, ton um, of commander cards to, to note for the other videos as well that's also uh orcus bowmasters we've talked about that in the previous episode but also we have zach short where he dives into that as well yeah and like i said all these like i i write them phil edits them so we can we get both of our opinions uh, onto the page and then uh and then i perform them so so you'll get like a really good like bite-sized scenario of like why this card is is good you know uh, so now going into the uh, the commander cards, and we've got to start with Farmer Cotton. Uh, where are you at, Farmer Cotton? Farmer Cotton is X green white legendary creature, halfling peasant. When Farmer Cotton enters the battlefield, create X one one white halfling creature tokens and X food tokens. Dukes, Strass Daddy, yeah. figure it the fuck out, <laughs> bro. So, yeah. so. 
You're being called out, guys. This this this, this card with you know your guys cradle. You know you just make a a big. Uh, you you just go wide, right? Yeah. Your guys cradle represents X one ones plus X food, which X food represents you know uh, times uh, subtract that by th times three, and that's how many permanents you can get back with Samwise. Sam loyal attendant turns all of that into you know one mana gain three life, so you just never lose races. Yeah, uh, I think that this is it's another legendary creature to you know spam in the to the legendary matters theme, but the the cool thing about this too is that between Caracas and Greens and Zenith, which you're already playing, if you're in a space where you have access to your Gaia's Cradle, you can Green Sun Zenith for this Caracas, pick it up, and then Gaia's Cradle, or you could also Gaia's Cradle with this on the board to add an additional mana, Caracas, pick it up, and then replay it, uh, and just like spam the board and go wide. There, it just adds another dimension of like you're playing these incidental like Sam and Frodo's and it's just you know these dopey shitters that are just making food and like giving you value or whatever whereas Farmer Cotton can actually be a kill con right yeah. like okay I'm just going to pick this up and you know I'm going to net you know five tokens every turn six tokens every turn and and then each one when you pick it up the guy's cradle gets more powerful because you just created more tokens so like the engine of like I'm just going to make a bajillion fucking one lands and empty the warrens you every single turn there's also dead, you know? Phil. Uh, there's also this uh, card from I, I want to say it's Dominaria United. Uh, I think it's Miria or M Mira or something like that. But the, it's it's a three mana card that is a legendary that like I think it shuts off all your opponent's artifacts and all of your artifacts tap for green mana. So you could have all the food in play, play that card, and like just. Yeah, so, so that card, I, think I don't think it fucks up with your opponent's thing. I think it's a, it's a, yeah, it's green and red. So you need to dip into mm -hmm. red, which is tough, but it does yeah. turn all of your artifacts into tap, add green. It turns them all into mox emeralds. And then you can tap two artifacts or whatever and exile the top card and then play that card. So yeah. it's a draw engine as well. Uh, and I see where you're going with that. You make yeah, Miria, of it's Miria scholar of, uh, of antiquity. Sorry. Yeah. And then it, that's another, it's a, it plays into the legend thing, but it moves into red, which might be tough. But yeah. maybe you're, maybe you're, it, maybe, I mean, the thing is like, you don't need to play Frodo Adventurous Hobbit. It's just sort of free to, because it partners with Sam Loyal Attendant. And that's yeah. interesting. And yeah. so it just puts you up the card. But yeah, that card turns all of your food, would turn all of your food into Mox Emeralds, which is also really powerful because uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then it's also a draw engine with all of your, so it, it, that, that's also possible because it is a green sun zenith target. So maybe, you know, you don't necessarily need to play a red source. You could just play it off of maybe you play one red source. So you, if you draw it, you don't get fucked, but like you could just green sun Zenith for it. And then it turns all of your food into mox emeralds. That's actually a pretty cool idea. It's just like a one of green sun yeah. target to like net a fuckload of mana. It's sort of like, if you have all the food, you sort of get to green sun for a guy's cradle in a way. Um, yeah. And that, that's kind of fun. Uh, okay. So uh, now we can talk about ship into the West. Bro, ship it into the West. I, when I read it, I literally had to double take and text you guys again in yeah. our in our chat with Nate, where I was like, it does say this, right? Like, I am not misreading this. Yeah. It's so, two blue green. Yeah, here you go. Okay. It's two blue green for an instant. It has Will of the Council, which is the voting mechanic. It's just starting with you. Each player votes for return or embark. If return gets more votes, each player returns up to two cards from their graveyard to their hand. Then you exile this card. That's not the thing that's going to happen with this. What's no. going to happen is you're going to vote, you as the player casting this at instant speed are going to vote for Embark. And it says if Embark gets more votes or it's tied for the most votes, each player may discard their hand and draw seven cards. So it's not a forced wheel, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a four minute instant speed guaranteed wheel for you. Because yeah. if Embark gets more votes and in a two player game, 
you can always make sure that the vote is tied by voting for Embark, which means yeah. that this is always an instant speed wheel of fortune for you in blue and green. Yeah, that's pretty good. That seems real. Like high tide players rejoice, right? You were already interested in sort of splashing green anyway to, to, to turbo your shit. And now this is just another instant speed wheel of fortune that you can get with your merchant scroll or get oh with your God. wish. And then like it, you're not your opponent, then you're not wheeling your opponent. To, into like counter magic or whatever if they don't want to right it's a it's a may so they may but they may not but you can yeah. always go up the seven cards not and to mention like let's let's think of a scenario where you're playing sultai and you have a bow masters on the board do you think your opponent wants to have you make a seven seven and take seven damage i'm i'm interested in this card because it in that context it's the it's a wheel of fortune you can merchant scroll for or cunning yeah. wish for which means playing one in your main and one in the board at least like talk about like re revitalizing potentially an entire archetype right we could like, we could be the, seeing the the uh triumphant return of uh solidarity like if you like even this if if you're playing this yeah exactly you could just play the solidarity version which is entirely at instant speed but like even if you were to play three of this in the main and one on the board right because if you play this in wheel this doesn't exile itself so you wheel, and then the second time you wheel, this wheels back into your deck. So if you're just making infinite mana and like untapping all your shit, like how much better, like how much closer to deterministic is this? Because it's not like uh, time spiral, which exiles itself, right? So yeah. you never get to like actually start looping them. This just goes back in and you just start drawing seven a bajillion times and then netting mana as you keep making more mana and the high tides do go back. So you keep high tiding and then you're making a bajillion more mana and it just keeps storm rolling. Fuck, hell yeah, we're sailing into the West. Yeah, we're embarking. <laughs> all right uh so let's talk about the crown of gondor this is a three mana legendary artifact maybe you stop me if you've heard this before uh this is an equipment equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each creature you control whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield if there was no monarch you become the monarch and then it says equip four this ability costs three less if you're the monarch so if you put a legendary creature into play, you can just pay one mana and attach this thing to it. And I you're think the monarch. This, this, is, this card is interesting, again, because of the context that it's in. So this card isn't playable on its own, but in a Stoneforge Mystic world as a one-of, it's sort of like the 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 torch that people the the that takes the initiative. Yeah, people have been tutoring up the torch of a Stoneforge Mystic to take the initiative. So it's a way that you can tutor for the initiative. This lets you tutor for the monarchy because you put this into play if there's no monarch. You're the monarch. So Stoneforge Mystic being able to tutor for the monarch is pretty powerful. Um, granted, you need a legendary creature to pair with it, but you're already playing legendary creatures incidentally. So yeah. if that's a space where you're in, being able to tutor for the monarchy off of your Stoneforge Mystic again powers up your Stoneforge Mystic. I think that's the only world where this is contextually yeah, important. But it's it's something else where it's like if the, the Stoneforge Mystic players need to grind, they now can do so even harder because... Yeah. You know, you, you're you, if assuming that you uh, played a legendary creature and equipped this to it, your legendary creature is now huge. So yeah. it's going to be fairly easy to maintain the monarchy if we're in that space. And they were playing the monarchy with Palace Jailer, and it's possible that like Palace Jailer has fallen out of favor. Crown of Gondor could just be another equipment that's in your deck off of your Stoneforge Mystic, and now here we are. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up is our final interpretation of Gollum. Gollum, obsessed stalker. Uh, for one and a black legendary creature, Halfling Horror, has Skulk. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent dealt combat damage. This game, by a creature named Gollum Obsessed Stalker, loses life 
equal to the amount of life you gained this turn. Get your fucking illusions of grandeur ready. (laughs) You're taking 20. (laughs) Attack. Oh, do you have a 2-2? I'm attacking you, and I'll play illusions of grandeur. The the, the value of this card is that you have to have it in play, but it doesn't have to be the same copy. It cares about a card named that thing, but the ability is still stamped onto the card. So it's not an emblem. You do have to have this in play, but it doesn't have to be the same physical copy of it later in the game. You can just like, like, if you get in with this, and then, you know, later on six mana, you can just go play this, play illusions, end step, kill you. You know, like there is that sort of, that, that sort of space. It's probably too cute, as is the case with most illusions of grandeur type yes. combos. But uh, hey, play, play, it, donate too. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, play this like, with the, donate, right? Uh, there is also something that's cool if you're in that uh, Abzani Maverick deck. There's no way to tutor for this card, but Sam Loyal Attendant, all your food, sac- gain three life, like for one mana, I'm just going to spam all that shit, or I'm in Asmora, Namartica, Dystina, Kultikar land, and I want to play this, and then just use the stuff to gain life, and then dome you out of combat for however much damage, like... Yeah, maybe there's something there, but like, you know, maybe or, or maybe Thoughtseize and Force of Willow just punish you for trying to do anything synergistic. Who knows? Yeah. All right, uh, Cavern Horde Dragon for nine mana. That's seven and two red. Uh, This spell costs X less, where X is the greatest number of artifacts an opponent controls. Flying, Trample, Haste, 6-6. Whenever Cavern Horde Dragon deals combat damage to a player, you may create a treasure token for each artifact that player controls. Okay, so sideboard in your red decks against all of the eight-cast bobble decks, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that's fine. And like, your opponent's not going to realize that like isn't going to sacrifice all his bobbles in response to this to like make it cost more. It can't. That doesn't happen. It doesn't so, work. It's already on the so stack. Yeah. This is this is interesting in that scenario where you're like, okay, like I just want a beater that like can tempo handle uh, eight cast. It's got haste too, so that's pretty amazing. So like, you can basically just be like, okay, you you got seven artifacts. Uh, now the combat math is such that like I have to kill you in the next like turn, two turns. Okay, I can pay two mana for the six six slam you. Maybe you get a bunch of uh mana and you're like, and I can bolt you and I can chain lightning you. Uh, you know, so I, I think I think this is interesting as a sideboard option. I don't think you should de- you should ever be playing this as a uh, main deck slot, but it's it's an interesting card. This is definitely a sideboard card for sure. It's only a yeah. sideboard card. Yeah, but you're not gonna play the- this main deck. Unless unless eight cast becomes really popular, but it is theoretically paying you off immediately, right? Like flying trample haste. So like even if they block, it doesn't matter. But yeah. like you're 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 going to dome them. They would get to interact and like remove some amount of artifacts from their table if possible to keep you from getting a bunch of treasures. But like sure. they're not getting rid of their seed of the signouts, right? Like they're they they can't sacrifice their tokens necessarily all that well. They can get rid of their baubles, but that's about it. Yeah. But like otherwise, this is. I mean, this if is this. Nothing. If this just comes down and hits for six for two mana, it's pretty good. If it hits for six and two mana and gains you three to four uh, mana on top of that, you're basically casting this for free, right? That's why it's powerful. It's a, yeah, like in in the context where you would want this out of the board, in the world where we're talking about where it would make sense to be playing this card, it would be effectively free because you would, you would play it for two red cash attack them deal them some amount of damage and then immediately go back up some number of treasure tokens that made it free so yeah, and, and you're probably like following up with like a murktide regent or something like that or, or, yeah. or something so the the other aspect about it too is that like i have seen like the blue red delver players that have moved into like the sort of dragon builds with uh 
Battle of Tarkir. This is yeah. another dragon, so it doesn't fuck that up. There you we know? go. Like it's still it's still in that space. Uh, I, I think it's specifically in that in the context against those types of decks. This is a, a, a sideboard card. Now, is that better than Meltdown? Probably not. Yeah. But who knows? Like Meltdown may protect win the game, but they may be able to rebuild. Right? Meltdown, they, Meltdown. I've rebuilt from several Meltdowns. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that taking six off the dome and then having your opponent follow it up with another like key play is is where I want to be against uh, against you, uh, another person. Yeah. You've rebuilt against several Meltdowns, and you've also tried to Meltdown and force a negation did. Yeah. And yeah. this can't get force of negations. So I side in force negations against red decks. So like so this it, card it, would catch me way off guard. It, it it cuts that. And then in the other context of like where, you know, if they play Psy and they're making Thopters to like chump block so they can start uh, racing or at least detain your fucking Murktide, this has trample and does not give a shit. Yeah. So like it has all of the makings of a very, very powerful sideboard card for a deck that already wants that kind of effect against the certain kind of decks in the metagame that it needs this card against. So like, it, it, like all of everything about this card fits very neatly into a home already. Yeah. This is not thinking beyond like what other context could this be good in very specifically the Delver board or any other red board against the, the bubble, uh, see the cyanide style or, you know, whatever artifact decks, this has a home in the board against those decks. And yep. th th this will be worth testing for in those spots. Definitely. All right. Our final card. We've got there. We've got to the final card of this uh, set uh, set review. Uh, I think this is actually one of the most uh, most interesting cards and probably one of the most powerful cards in the set. Phil, Feasting Hobbit is a one and one green for a creature halfling citizen that has Devour Food 3. He's a 2-2, and it says creatures with power less than feasting hobbits power cannot block it. Okay, so I'm gonna need I'm gonna need we're we're just gonna need to get a, a, a round table of Dukes and Strass Daddy on here right now. So okay, so team, team, let's with all just the start, let's just start with with uh underworld cookbook, right? Like that's the, let's just that, start, that's the floor. That's baseline with underworld cookbook. You go turn one underworld cookbook, you discard a card, you make a a, a food. You untap, you tap it again, you make another food. You cast Feasting Hobbit, you devour the two food. You have a two mana 8-8 eight, eight that effectively is not going to be blocked. Cannot be blocked, yeah. Now, that's pretty that's, good on turn two. That's on just going turn one, turn two with literally any other amount of cards in two mana. Yeah. Uh, who knows what the other synergy. But like, you can green sun zenith for this. Like, in that in the new Maverick deck that we're talking about that's just spamming a whole shit of fucking food tokens, you green sun zenith for this. Devour is an ETB effect, so... ETB, Devour, you sacrifice as many foods as you want, you make this as gigantic as you, as you want, and it will one-shot your opponent. Like, yeah. that is so awesome. Devour 3 means that every Devour food you sacrifice will so put plus on plus on counters on it. That's so Devour much. 3 is so big! At 2 mana, that's so much! Yeah. This is the card. I think this is the card that, like, people are sleeping on. It doesn't even have a price yet. Uh, it's, this it, is, the, it is, this like, is the card of the set that, like, it, you should bro. pick those up. The 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 Obs on Maverick players are are or are already interested in like the Green Sun Zenith for a mana dork. Gilded Goose is your foodie mana dork. It's all yeah. there. The deck is all there. Yep. It's already right yep. there. And they reprinted Gilded Goose right with a really there. new, re really cool new art. With, like, with good art. With really yeah. good art. It's all there. It's all there, fam. Yeah. So I think that does it for us. Uh I hope you've enjoyed uh the cast so far. Uh Hey, I, I wanted to also thank everybody who's new for showing up and checking out the cast. 
We've like almost doubled our subscriber count over the last couple of months. So if you're new, uh, thanks so much for watching. Uh, if you found value here, please consider subscribing to the channel. If uh, you you have the means, please uh, think about supporting us on Patreon. All those links are below. You can go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Uh, check out Moxfield. Uh, hit me and Phil up on Twitter. Hit us up. Join our Discord. Join our Discord. And please comment below if you thought that we missed anything. Uh, I, I have so much more to talk about with this set. This is uh, one of those rare times that two of my favorite things are kind of converging at the same time. So I'm super excited to talk about this set. Uh, hit us up in the Discord. I think that's it for us, Phil. What to do? <laughs> Later. Come on down. Ride, ride, call me. He said, come on.